Welcome to the Alberta Wedding Podcast, a platform for Alberta wedding professionals and couples to connect, learn, and share ideas. I'm your host, wedding videographer Kevin Marr. With over 100 weddings behind me, I'm your guide to all things weddings in this great province of ours. Well, I hope everyone is having a great summer so far. We're coming towards the end of August now when you do hear this. And I really wanted to touch on cultural weddings because I think uh, there's obviously a large demographic here in Alberta that uh, we want to make sure that uh, everyone feels heard and, and that we're touching on like all the different areas of this great industry of ours. So I'm really lucky to have this next guest on. We've worked together on a number of uh, weddings together in the last year. His work just really speaks for itself. Uh, he's based off Edmonton, but he travels all across Alberta, Canada, and international. So uh, without further ado, everyone, I want you to welcome uh, Andre onto the podcast. Kevin, thank you so much for having me. Um, I know we chatted about doing this for a while, so I'm super excited to finally get the ball rolling on this. Yeah, no, this is going to be a really fun hour because I really want to uh, dive into just all the um, the intricate quirks about doing cultural weddings because they are very unique and special. And I love the traditions that come with with them. And I've done a fair number of my own. I know you've done well more than I have. So <laughs> I definitely wanted to bring you on and and kind of let people in on what they can expect and just the differences and how you can best prepare to have the best wedding for yourselves. But before we get into that, I really want the listeners to know like how you got into wedding photography in the, in the beginning and give us your origin story. Well, my origin story, I wasn't planning on even ending up doing photography. My parents bought me a camera when I was in university to do videos. And I slowly, slowly stumbled across blurry backgrounds in photos. That's how I ended up kind of finding my way into photography. Um, just seeing that image and seeing how it looks a little bit different than a smartphone image. And that's kind of my route into wedding photography. That's just the, the entry level of it. Uh, it took me a while to upgrade and actually push into choosing to do this as a business. But uh, my background in school was uh, international business and marketing. So this really kind of just worked together on a grand scheme of things to work in photography and marketing. And on, on I wasn't really planning on doing weddings to begin with just because I knew the intricacies of it and how difficult and stressful they can be. So for me, just end up having a friend reach out to me, hey, we're doing a really small budget wedding, 500 bucks. Are you able to help us out? I'm like, yeah, you know what, $500. I get some good food at the end of the day. So it just made sense at the time. It was a fall wedding. I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but uh, I think that's the origin story for a lot of us. We just say, hey, why not? Let's give it a shot and see how it goes. And uh, many years down, not many years, but about five, six years down the line, right? I'm still doing it and I'm doing it full time. So I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for that. So was it like around 2016, 2017 that you, you got going or? Yeah, so I picked up a camera in 2016, and in 2017, I shot my first micro-wedding, if you want to call it that. And I was shooting part-time, shooting five, six weddings a year. And then when the pandemic started, that's when I actually chose to go full-time. And it Perfect timing, right? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> call me crazy, right? So like, what else it. am I supposed to do at home? And yeah, we were doing backyard weddings, and then we jumped into slowly bigger and bigger weddings as the backlog kind of filled up from people who had to postpone their weddings. There was a really high need for photographers. So I'm like, well, you know what? No better time to go head to the wall on this, learn, grow, work with people and just develop my skills, develop this business. And uh, we've been so fortunate to have the experiences that we've had traveling, working with amazing couples and just capturing so many different types of weddings. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of those early challenges that you faced like in the first couple of years pre-COVID, you know, where you were still trying to like find your groove and really find your style? Because I think in the beginning, like a lot of times uh, as creatives, we look at others like that we look up to and we try to mimic what they do. It's like, okay, how did they do it? And we try to mimic it. But over time, I think we, we find what works for us and we take a little bit from everyone and we create our own style. So I think for me, the biggest thing was honestly confidence. 
when you're at the very beginning, you're just not 100% sure on yourself. It's just the reality of it. If you're shooting a $500 wedding, the client knows what they're getting into, right? So it's not the end of the world if something, your exposure is wrong or you edit it too funky, whatever. You use the presets like we all started. Yeah. But as it got on, for me, it was about confidence and about emotion, right? A lot of the times I was getting together with my couples in advance and they could see through me that I wasn't confident enough about what I was going to deliver to them. It's a huge thing that you need the couples to trust you, to have the confidence in you, and to know that you're going to deliver not just sufficient work, but you need to excel and push and that you'll bend over backwards for them. Essentially, that's what everyone wants on their wedding day. So it took a while for me to find that within myself, the why I was shooting weddings, because that's where the confidence stems from. You really need to know why you're doing this just so you can continue growing and then the couples can actually see that from you. So confidence was the biggest thing for me. I like that you mentioned that because I could differently relate and still relate to this day. You know, we're mm-hmm. all constantly in this uh, battle with our confidence. Like, you know, you could have shot like three, 500 weddings and still at times you have that self-doubt a little bit inside you as like, okay, you know, like, 100%. is my work still good enough? And not quite maybe the imposter syndrome, but you're like, okay, people are now paying me a lot of money, a lot of trust, a lot of responsibility. I have no room for error. Correct. And so like, how were you able to overcome those confidence problems that you were dealing with, which we all have dealt with, to the point where like you, you were starting to feel like more in your skin, like you really felt comfortable in your skin and it was starting to show through your relations with your couples. So it actually goes way back to when I was a lot younger. I used to play a lot of sports. I played soccer, I played volleyball, and it has nothing to do with photography. But I remember those high-pressure games, and my heart's just pounding, and I'm sweating. The game hasn't even started. I'm not even warmed up. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, and it's like I'm sweating, and I'm worrying about what's going to happen and what I'm going to do. The way I overcame that was by talking to my coaches, talking to my team, going over the game plan, and doing all that preparation before the game and it goes hand in hand with weddings if you're not sure about what's going to happen well you know you could ask right you could talk to a couple that's a huge thing about what they're planning on doing that gives you the feeling inside that you're a lot more prepared the confidence comes from just knowing what's going on even when sometimes things don't go necessarily the way you wanted to right but having a rough idea of what's going to be happening you're not going into it fully blind that's where the confidence, I think, really comes in. The belief in yourself. And for me, it stemmed back from my sport days. No, I love that, you know, that you were able to take your time, you know, as an athlete and those big moments and be able to translate that into a completely different situation where, like, it's, you have you have one shot, right? Exactly. You know, as Eminem says, right? You got you have, you have one shot, right? Yeah. Are you, are you going to take it or just let it slip? Yeah, exactly. Right. I love how you phrase that. And I'm, I'm curious to know, like, now, like, looking back, like, what is your process? Like, how are you able to prepare yourself for those big days through the preparation with your couples? For me, what's been happening a lot recently, and it's, I've seen it reflected in the work itself, is just meeting with the couples many times before the wedding. Some of my biggest mentors have told me that, hey, we don't even meet with some of our couples until the day of, right? And I'm like, that's... That's bonkers to me. Like, I, That's kind of scary. Yeah. So that's why I'm hoping that this continues for me, that I'm going to have the time and flexibility to meet with all my couples. Uh, we'll do the initial consultation. We'll go over planning. I am almost like a wedding planner. I'll literally tell them we've done... We've had so many catastrophic weddings, in a sense, where you learn... And if they don't have a wedding planner taking care of them for that, you have the experience. You've been around it. You are able to help them, right? So that pre-planning saves you as well. A lot of couples are just worried about photos and video and food, but they might be missing little details. What about family photos? How do you have a shot list for that? Or are we taking family photos literally with everyone there? Yeah. Well, you got 200 guests. That's going to take you five hours. I don't care how fast you are, right? It's hurting cats. It's hurting sheep, whatever you want to you want to bring in together, right? So guiding and holding the couple's hand through the planning process a little bit, unless they have a wedding planner. But even then, I would still 
give my two cents because even the wedding planner doesn't know certain things that we see. Yeah. We know where we have our downtime. We know where on a wedding day our time is not being wasted, but it's just a little bit more bland. And no pun intended, but we do see things with a different lens. Correct. And even as a photographer compared to a videographer, we see things differently. Even though our cameras look the same, 100%. we're looking at different things and we have different pain points. You know, We may have some shared ones, but we also have some things that, that you have to consider that I don't necessarily need to have to consider a whole lot and vice versa. How would you describe your, your style for photography? Um, when it comes to specifically weddings, because I know you do like a lot of portrait stuff as well on the side and commercial work, but specifically with weddings and and lean more into obviously the cultural mm-hmm. side of things. How do you describe your style? My work started out very portraiture heavy, very posed, very exactly the way I wanted it to be. And I came to the realization that just weddings are not like that. We're not in the market of being in New York or Los Angeles where we're shooting for Vogue. Our wedding is not for Vogue, right? It's for Edmonton, Alberta. So I shoot very natural documentary, uh, photojournalistic style. I think the blend of the two is Mm -hmm. just kind of super nice because you need to have a balance of both. Absolutely. Um, There are parts of the wedding where you need to assert your dominance, especially in the family photos. Okay, it's like, take this out of your pocket, take that very formal, very posed. Um, But then there are parts where you don't have a chance to do that. You don't have time to fix your lighting. You don't have a time to do anything other than shoot. So you have to be able to document that with the conditions that you're given. So that's the route my my work is going right now, that hybrid look. And so far, I'm happy. There's always room to grow. But uh, I think this is what I'm going to be sticking with for for now. Yeah. And as someone who's worked beside you, on a number of weddings. And I think that's why you and I worked really well together because I'm very much on the, like, capture things as you see them, right? You know, obviously giving prompts and and making sure that you're putting people in good lighting. That is things that we have to obviously take control of. And and there are some couples, obviously, that are more reserved than others. And so, yeah, they need more direction. And absolutely, right? But I think, too, at the same time, like, I know for me, at least, like, I'll always, like, work with my couples to their comfort level. I'm never going to get them out of their bubble just for my own self satisfaction, right? Like, because they're going to look back at those photos and be like, or those video clips and be like, that's not who we are. Like, it was so awkward. It was just, we did this one pose, you know, five different ways and it was not who we are. Whereas some couples, that is who they are. And it's like, okay, you know what? If that's what you want, let's lean into that. And again, doing the hybrid, you know, parts of the wedding require one style versus one part of the wedding requires something different. And me being, I had to learn to be a lot more proactive. For a while, I was being very reactive and second shooting for one of my mentors. Uh, this is what he told me. It's, you need to just keep shooting. We're in an era where our files, like you can keep shooting. You're not on a roll of film anymore. Yeah, That's when you get a chance to capture some of your best images. and the wedding following his advice, I captured one of my favorite images to date. Technically, looking at the image, nothing amazing. But it's the moment, it's the emotion, it's just the bride putting her earrings in the mirror, but then you have mom in the background tearing up. The bride has that image printed in her mom's house, nice and large and beautiful. And when I went over to just thank him again for hiring me, I was so overwhelmed with emotion because it was my favorite image, but it was also her mom's, right? It's something so, you don't know when you'll actually be able to capture moments like that because you're so focused. It's genuine. Exactly. And that's the difference, right? If everything's posed, like you said, there's nothing wrong with posing for the formal family photos, right? But that split seconds when you can get a wow shot. Yeah, and I, and I think it, those are the moments that like I really like are you know, hoping that we're able to capture and you have to be quick on your feet. There is no retakes. Like mm-hmm. that only happens once. Whereas, like with portraits, you know, sometimes, yeah, you can do retakes it. And it's like, okay, the lighting isn't great. Let's move you around here. Correct. Yeah. It is those like those authentic moments. I hate using that mm-hmm. buzzword authentic, but it's those real moments that like there's nothing like posed about it. And it's just like, this is who they are. Correct. And it's just like, there's, they forget the cameras are there. And that that's sometimes where I get my best 
uh, moments is when they forget I'm even there. You just have to be a fly on the wall and just capture every single little important moment that you see. So let's get right into what I really wanted to talk about today, and that's diving into the world of cultural weddings. And this is a very like wide spe- spectrum of like things that we can uh, cover when it comes to this, because there's so many different... Pick your culture. Yeah, right? Like Everyone's <laughs> got their own traditions and way of doing things, so we only have an hour for this podcast, so we have to do <laughs> yeah. a, a second part. But how do you approach these cultural weddings, whether they're single day or multi-days, compared to, say, a barn wedding. And, and this is not against barn weddings or or Western culture weddings, where it's very like cut and dry. But there is like a different approach that you have to take with this. So for Western weddings, it's very much about the couple. Any sort of cultural wedding, it's more about the two families coming together. So it's more than just two people that are important on the wedding day. It's a union of two families. So my process is whenever I have a couple hiring me, it's actually the families hiring me more often than the couple themselves. So my biggest pointer approach, whatever you want to call it, is it's not just the couple. You got to get involved with the parents. Talk to them about what they want as well, because nine times out of 10, they're likely the ones uh, sending you that e-transfer, signing the check, the contract, whatever it may be. Uh, You want to make sure they're just as happy. And the moment you get into one family, you get the rest of the family. It's just a snowball effect. Like if you're looking for referrals, that's the side of the business that you you really should be in. Name of the game. Exactly, right? Uh, but there's always family that comes in from abroad doing a bunch of different cultures. Um, you can have families coming out from India, from Africa, from Europe. You've got family everywhere because that's just how it just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Families immigrated everywhere. And now they're all coming together for a grand union. So you need to make sure that you're capturing as much of that as possible. And part of me doesn't really agree with it because it takes away from the couple a little bit, right? Which I believe it should still be that they are the main focus. Sometimes it's too much about the families, mm-hmm. but it's just how they are. And you have to respect tradition and whatever they choose to do. And you're just there to document their day in the best light possible. Yeah. It's very difficult because each, not necessarily each culture, but each family will pretty much have their own traditions that have just been passed down the line. So communication is very important. And even though you think you might know something, yes, I know that this happens in an East Indian wedding. I know that this happens in an Eastern European wedding. Ask again, because something will be different. As you you nailed it right on the dot, because like I've done my fair share of East Indian weddings, African weddings. And although like there's a lot of similarities within those cultures, you break it down even more. Like there's so many little different things that it's like, okay, we did things a little different this time. So you making assumptions is like the worst thing you can do. Exactly. That's why like it, it starts from like the very beginning, like all that preparation is that 90% preparation that we were doing before the wedding day. Yep. That is going to really make or break that week, right? For cultural weddings, the prep before the wedding is 90% of the battle. 90%. Shooting ends up being easy if you're prepared for it and you know what's happening. So when a couple does or a family reaches out to you, and let's say, for example, it's a, it's a multi-day wedding, how do you start the dialogue? What are some of the questions that you're asking them to find more information on how, one, you can serve them best, and two, making sure that you're not selling yourself short too because it's a huge commitment, right? Like there's a lot of these are like four or five days, right? And so, and it's not just yourself shooting it. You've got probably like maybe a second or a third shooter sometimes. Exactly, yeah. In regards to second and third shooters, at some point I will have them meet my couples and their families. Just because I'm with the bride, doesn't mean the groom should be left out in the dark. Yeah. Right. He needs to know who he's working with. He needs to have a good rapport with the second shooter. Uh, they also need to feel comfortable enough to be able to ask certain things of the second shooter as if it was me. Right. They need to be able to say, hey, we need this photo. We just remembered about it last minute. We forgot about so-and-so. We need this captured. Because there's a lot of that, especially when you have 800 guests. They're not small weddings by any means. Going back into kind of capturing all of this, it's difficult, right? You've got two separate events on each day. You want to make sure that they're incredibly comfortable. And when it comes to the dialogue from the beginning, 
the first thing you should probably be asking is, what type of wedding are you having? Traditional versus non-traditional. There's a lot of people who will combine an East Indian wedding with Western wedding. And then if you just assume it's a full Indian wedding, you're not prepared for that either. Yeah. Usually, let's say East Indian. I will ask about their religion first. You've got Hindu and then you've got Sikh weddings and they're significantly different, especially when it comes to the final wedding ceremony, which one is either, they're usually both at a temple or some sort of uh, traditional location. But you want to be ready because you already know which traditions you'll be pulling for which wedding. That's very important. Then you go through the list of the traditions that you know happen at those weddings. And you ask the bride, the groom, or the parents their approach to those traditions. Are they doing all the traditions? Are they omitting some of them? Each tradition can be manipulated, like we mentioned, by each Mm -hmm. family, right? Uh, Let's take... For example, Hindu weddings. At some point, the bride and the groom, they're holding hands and they knock over seven times, right? They walk around the fire seven times and then they knock over usually a dessert or something on a, it's a nut on a leaf just to kind of symbolize the seven lives, seven afterlives that they're going to be together. I've had every family do it slightly different. After the wedding, there's always really important moments where they're feeding each other a dessert that symbolizes, you know, it's a blessing. You want to make sure you're capturing those moments. Uh, There's the throwing rice in the fire. There's throwing rice in a Sikh wedding as well, but they're very different, very different times, and they symbolize something completely different. So you need to talk to everyone to see what it actually means to them so you know how you should be capturing it. Is this a super important moment, or is it just semi-important and part of the tradition? If it's super important, communicate with your second shooter. You're both grabbing safe shots. The nice part about these weddings is that they do it multiple times. So if you miss it on the first try, you get a second go. They're coming around again. Exactly, right? Grab the safe shots first, first time, the second time, the third time. Then you have enough time to actually get creative with it. You can introduce a light if you want to backlight something, if you want to create different shadows and create something a little bit different, more in the documentary style. Otherwise, you're just capturing the moments over and over and over again. That's why communicating about what's important to them. It's about them, the families. And if they can't tell you, good luck. Have you had it where it's like that? Where like they, they just don't know what's important to them and they're just like just unaware of like their intentions, I guess. Yeah, I actually did last year. I did a Hindu family. I actually did all three siblings in two weeks. Oh, wow. For that same family. Uh, So I anticipate, okay, we did the first one, cool. The next two are going to be 90% the exact same, right? I still talk to them. We still talked about certain things, but the joining of the families was only half. The other half wanted to do something a little bit different, which I didn't go talk to them about it. So they've changed up traditions and ceremonies on me, doing one in the temple versus doing one outside. Not that that makes a huge difference. As a photographer, you should be able to adapt, but... You're sitting there, you're preparing for a shot, knowing that that's what comes next in the timeline of the ceremony. And then they switch them around because they use a different priest and this priest likes doing it this way. The difficulty in that is the language barrier. I don't necessarily speak their language, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're not very fluent in English, just makes it a little bit more difficult knowing the, the sequence. That's why I shot one of these to begin with just by myself, no second shooter. And that will never happen again because... I was prepared for one shot and a completely different shot happened, still captured it, but not in the best way, not in the best lights, not in the proper way. I get that, right? I know a lot of solo solo shooters. I'm doing more solo weddings this year myself. And, you know, there are risks involved with that, obviously. I'm still learning my way through it and trying to combine like, okay, between capturing the moments and also being prepared for the next event. The next. I'm always looking ahead, just like you. Like you're always looking at the timeline. Okay, what's next? Right. And because we're only there for a certain amount of hours and mm-hmm. we want to we wear a lot of different hats, as you know, on the day of and even beforehand. And one of the things is like we have to be a timekeeper a lot of times. And if someone's not on top of that, then things can go really off the rails. Uh, so that's why I always like to have like multiple people that has the timeline and so i'm not the only one that's looking at keeping on time that there's a number of us but i also understand too that people get caught up in the moment and they forget it's like okay i'm the only one that's looking at the timeline now 
So let me ask you this. Have you had a cultural wedding where it's actually been on time? Oof. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I mean, and I don't want to pin this on just cultural weddings. 100%. But I think too, yeah, there is certain trends. If you do enough, enough of them, there are more likelihoods that things could go off the rails. And recently I've had that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It can get frustrating, and and and, but you know, at the same time, it's like okay, these couples know that uh, you're only there for a certain amount of time, and and that's where the communication comes back, and it's just correct, and just right. trying to keep them aware of okay, this is where we're at this time. How are you guys feeling? Do you guys want to stay here a little bit longer, or because if you guys want to stay in the certain situation for a little bit longer, okay, this is what's going to happen, like as a domino effect. Mm-hmm. If you're okay with that, let's stay here. Otherwise we do need to keep them moving, right? So, And that's why it's important to know what they actually prioritize and what they value more, right? Because if you know that's something that's coming up, it's just meh for them and they care something more about what's going to be happening later, you can skip that part. Go for what they actually want. Yeah. When they see the final gallery, you'd rather have the wow moment of what they actually wanted instead of half-assing that one. Yeah. And then you capture the other event, small events or small little thing that might have been happening, right? Right. So you got to prioritize for yourself as well. And the transparency and talking to the couple beforehand, even about, you know, things running late, like, hey, if we're running two hours behind, there's a contract, there's I'm booked for X amount of hours. If it's running late, I need you to sign right here in advance that you want me to stay past the allotted amount of time and you will be charged accordingly. Just so I'm also not bothering you yeah. on your wedding day to be like, hey, look, guys, that's an awkward conversation to have, right? Hey, you know, 15 minutes, like, time runs out. Like, what do, what do you guys want to do? And they look at each other awkwardly, and then they go talk to their parents, and then you're just ending, end up wasting another 15 minutes, right? I like that approach that you you make, and that's actually something I don't have in my contract currently. But moving forward, like, it's something that I'm seriously going to look at because, yeah, I do have a lot more flexibility with the collections I offer now, but there are still situations where they even go above and beyond that. And it's like, okay, you want to really allow them to be in the moment and really enjoy that day and not talk business on the day because who wants to, who wants to talk business on the best day of your, exactly. your life, right? So I totally get that. And it's a fine line, right? And you know, everyone has their own way of running their business, but I, I definitely mm-hmm. like your approach. And I think... It's something that I think you'll probably see uh, more photographers and videographers look at that as, as an option moving forward because... Uh, I just put myself in their shoes, right? If it's my wedding day, by 9, 10 o'clock, if your time's coming up, I've probably already had a couple of drinks. I'm feeling good. I don't want you coming up to me and be like, hey, you know, you know, kind of ruining my mood, right? You want to... yeah. Like I said, fly, fly on the wall, fly on the wall, right? So that's why you ask those, those hard-hitting questions in advance, right? Well, this is a good segue into my next question because I want to talk about pricing. And this is uh, always a scary topic, you know, uh, sometimes. How do you charge for your multi-day cultural weddings compared to, say, a single-day wedding? It depends first off on the type of culture, simply because some weddings will just be two days where you can just charge your regular day rate X amount of hours. If you're looking, for example, East Indian ones are the ones that are usually run five days, seven, 10 days, whatever it might be. Uh, those ones you end up usually doing per hour because you know you might need three hours with the groom at the same time that you're shooting for six hours with the bride. Mm-hmm. It's tough to price that one out, right? So that's why hourly kind of just makes the most sense for an East Indian wedding. You could shoot up to like 40 hours. 40 hours, you got to take that into account for two people. Yeah, uh, And for me, pricing was actually a really difficult thing because if you're shooting Western weddings, uh, let's say you're doing one on Friday, one on Saturday, you're making a decent chunk of change for 10 for 12 hours, whereas you're putting in a lot more work for the cultural weddings, working more hours for, let's say, one and a half times the price of the Western wedding. So if you're breaking down to an hourly wage, you're probably losing money on a cultural wedding. If you really break it down, all your costs, et cetera. However, you end up having work in the middle of the week. There's not many Western weddings on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. So opportunity cost. That's where you have to be accepting of the fact that that's how it is. And they're booking for so many hours. And you also got to understand that 
from your first couple of meetings with the client, customer lifetime value. Mm-hmm. How many siblings do they have? Well, you just talked about that one you did last year where you did like exactly. the whole family in like a month. And that's how and that's how it works, right? The initial consultation was the uh, bride and groom, then with the family. And when the family showed up, there was another two siblings on his side and another three siblings on her side. And they saw their engagement videos and photos. And they're like, okay, Andre, we need you for another two weddings. And they're happening within the next week. So I ended up giving them their engagement session photos and video free of charge. Oh, wow. Because I saw how many, like... You saw the value, right? Like, it's, yeah, I get that. It was an hour of my time. Then whenever they met with me, they treated me nicely, right? They treated me with respect. They treated me professionally. Uh, We went out for coffee. And even something small is like, hey, don't worry, I'll get coffee. Don't, like, it's not the end of the world. Yes, it's five bucks. But it's how the client also makes you feel. We are over the moon when we see a nice review or you get that private message. We absolutely love this. You did such a phenomenal job. We can't stop looking at it. So if you can read that that's the type of couple you're working with, you better damn well bend over backwards for them. Because you try your hardest on an engagement session, you book another two weddings in the next week if you get lucky like I did. Mm-hmm. And out of that, family sessions came in. It just the customer lifetime value from that one client was exponential. Yeah, it really is about how you make them feel. And I've said this on a number of episodes, including uh, last week's episode, is that you can create the most breathtaking photos and videos and you know get all these shares and like accolades and awards and blah, blah, blah. But when it comes back down to it, really, if that couple didn't feel appreciated, if they didn't feel like they were taken care of and they didn't mm-hmm. see you as someone as an extension of their family. Correct. All of those accolades... Mean nothing. Mean nothing. Because, you know, and even taking the referrals out of the situation here, just focusing on them, right? Like, what's your what's your priority? Why are you doing what are you doing? Like, we're here for them, like, first and foremost. And I think yep. you do see sometimes in this industry where the priorities are mixed up. And Correct. it's unfortunate to see because... We are all given this incredible responsibility to document these once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. And sometimes they're spoiled because of how these couples and these families were treated or they were made to feel on the day of or leading up. And it can really just ruin everything. So I love the fact that you know you really lean into how you make your couples feel, how you make their families feel. Because if you make them feel like a million bucks and, and, and feel like you're a part of your family, they're going to make you feel like exactly. you're a part of their family. And that's there's no better feeling than that. We are in a luxury industry and we saw it during the pandemic, right? We There wasn't a lot of work, right? But when you go to a luxury brand, you just go purchase something, you go buy a high-end car, anything along those lines. It's the experience. It's how they make you feel. They treat you incredibly nicely. They they welcome you into their store. They welcome you into their dealership. So it's the exact same thing for us, right? They could, there's so many of us. Yeah, well, why is it different for us, right? Like, and it shouldn't. No, 100%, right? So we have to do the exact same. Like, it's it's luxury. That's the way I view it. Because, you know, everyone has to get married, but not everyone has to spend five to $10,000 no. on a video. People can have their iPhones out, as we know, and uh, you can document that way, right? Like, what we offer is a luxury, but... So we also got to make sure we upstand by our own brand and we offer more than just a luxury product, but our service delivery is also in the realm of luxury. That's why for me, I meet with my couples so many times. I'll have people tell me, why are you meeting with your couple 10, 10 times before the wedding? I'm like, one, we enjoy each other's presence in each other's company, right? It's kind of cool. I'm making friends. So there's people my age getting married. There's, you know, you make connections, you're networking, you're having a good time. And then you actually get to know them. They're not going to be as awkward on the day of the wedding. They're going to trust you in any crazy idea that you might have, right? It's like, hey, this might not necessarily work, but if it does, it'll be super, super cool. Hear me out. Hear me out. Like, have trust. And if they trust you, they'll go with it. Exactly. And then that's when you can create some really wicked stuff. Have you had it where it's the opposite in the sense of like, you got hired on for a wedding and like the family and the couple just 
they don't want to have this personal relationship with you where they're like, you know what, I'm just hiring you to do a job. This is a simply a transactional situation that we're having here. And how do you deal with those situations and really still be able to deliver what you've promised and, and what they expect if you don't have that same relationship as you have with other couples that yeah, and that one's uh, that one's interesting because whenever that happens, you dissociate yourself a little bit from the couple, but you can see it from the very beginning. It's either because they're price shopping, right? They'll come to you, oh, can you give us a deal? Can you do this within the price? Can you give us a free album? And straight from the get-go, whenever they do their consultation with me, I'm, I'm telling them, like, I like being up in your face. I like knowing everything about you. I ask them how they met, how he proposed, anything that's important to them, right? So if I see that they're reluctant to share any of that information with me, I already know the couple that I'm sort of dealing with. Do you back out? Like, do you, do you tell them like, that this is not... I do. The money's not worth it. Like, there's somebody else for you that would probably be best suited. I don't turn out, turn down a whole lot because nine times out of 10, through the consultation, they already know, especially if it's word of mouth or referral, they know from the other couples how I work. Yeah. And they want that for themselves too. Exactly, right? At the beginning, it was a little bit tougher simply because they were just a, a cold lead and then you have to convert them into, into a booking. Yeah. So you could see it from the get-go how willing they were to spend their time with you. Did you want, you know, I'm like, hey, let's do a Zoom meeting, get to know each other better. Everybody say, hey, can we just like go back and forth between emails? We're really busy. That just shows like, okay, what do you really value? Yeah. So... I've done a couple of those when I was first starting just because you have to swallow your pride and what you do at the time, uh, you know, just make sure you stay afloat and you improve the business. So if you're not booked that much, take the dollar. But as you're developing your business, you're growing, you have a steady income from the work that you're doing, uh, you, I highly recommend you actually do turn couples down because they're, you're just not aligned, right? It's just, it's just what it is. You got to stay true to yourself, right? And mm-hmm. If you, you're not the best fit for someone, like stop it like before it goes any further because it's honestly you're doing them a favor, you're doing yourself a favor, and yeah, we're not for everybody, and we know that. No. and I don't want to no, be 100%. for everybody. That's the great thing about our industry is like there are so many different options that there's a specific photographer and videographer for every couple that's out there. Exactly, price point, style personality, you name it. And so kind of sticking with that, when couples are reaching out and asking questions in the early stages of the inquiry, what are questions that they should be asking photographers? Like aside from like style, like they can see through like their Instagram, through their website, obviously. But what are some other questions that they should be asking photographers in the beginning that will better serve them in the long run? Interesting that you asked that. I recently had a bride kind of pull one, pull a fast one on me. So a lot of times, you know, you're sitting there with a couple and you'll ask, why should I, you know, photograph your wedding? Like, why should you, why are you guys my ideal couple? This bride asked me why I'm her ideal photographer. I'm like, whoa, hold up. That's new. Nobody asked me that. I was like, why? She goes, why should I hire you? Right. Why should I talk to, why should I not talk to other photographers? Right. I've got, I like your style, but there's other people shooting your style. Why should you be my wedding photographer? I stop right there. I'm like, I like you. The tables have been turned. Exactly. I'm in the hot seat now. It's rare that you actually get something like that. But the couple needs to look at what they want out of their photographer, right? They really need to ask that. Yes, how many photos do you get? What's your price point? What's the turnaround? That's business talk, which you don't actually need to necessarily have, right? You send them the contract, they see it. If they have questions, they'll email you or text you or whatever. But when they're asking you more of those intricate questions, right? Like, what are you willing to do for me? How are you willing to make sure this is the happiest day of my life, right? So when they're asking those questions, it aligns with exactly what I want to do. I want to make sure this is the happiest day of your life. If if something goes wrong and I don't care about you, I'm not going to try and help. Yeah. I had one wedding where... Nobody grabbed the cake. I've had that happen. You've had that happen, right? I left my second shooter there. I knew where the cake was coming from. I went and picked it up. Very carefully. It's like, no, I can't be the one that drops this, right? (laughs) 
but nobody else, right? They were all already drunk. Nobody was kind of going like, hey, I'm going to go get the cake. And they're like, oh, we can't deliver the cake, whatever, right? So it's more about how you can be a special part of their day. For me, like I said, it's bending over backwards for my couples. So when they ask me questions like this, right, like, what do you want to capture out of my family? You, I've told you about my family. I've told you our story, our love story. What do you see that will make my wedding more special and unique? Asking the questions that are not just logistics. Like go go deeper beyond like just like the the surface level questions that you could probably get off of a, an FAQ page on a website. We had a wedding where the mom of the bride was getting very sick was getting very sick uh she didn't know she was actually going to be at the wedding whatsoever and she was transparent with me and she told me that and i really appreciated it because then you're you know when it comes to the family formals you're sitting there questioning right just natural right um so she asked me like okay i stopped her right then and there i'm like okay we're gonna speed up all the other family photos and we're gonna go see your mom we went to long-term care and we took family photos right there with mom that's really special they don't end up being phenomenal photos they're not portfolio pieces you're not but to them like those photos are like precious like that's like the world to them exactly you can't shoot with an 85 one point you know f4 to get that nice blurry background when you're but they appreciate it they don't care about all that fancy they want that moment captured so much more They, they, they don't care right and you know that's our job to also explain to them like yes right i know you might not want this picture but one day you will be happy you have it so going beyond that surface level stuff right like these little things that you don't know right uh, you've got a, someone who a grandmother who's in a wheelchair you've got a grandfather who again who might be sick those little things a dog the location maybe you want to do the portraits you know you see this beautiful couple and you know she shows you her dress and it's a big, grand, beautiful dress. And you're like, oh, this should be shot at the legislature or the government house uh, because you can get those epic, you know, very regal type shots. Mm-hmm. But that could mean squat for them. You got to listen, right? It's those early conversations that you have with them, finding out exactly, as you mentioned before, what's most important to them. The best photographers out there aren't necessarily technically the best photographers. They just know how to listen to their clients. And yeah find out like exactly what means the most to them. And those are going to be far more important than like any accolade or award you're going to get because that's, you've taken time to really like care about them and what's important to them. And I think that gets lost in the mix sometimes in what we do because we're just trying to survive and and just try to capture everything. But you got to keep those like really important foundational pillars in front of you on the day of because yeah it, it's so easy and I, i'm guilty of that it's like you know what we have these great conversations beforehand and then sometimes it's like yeah i do forget sometimes it's like oh yeah right you know like we're human 100%, right we're, we're all human but i think you know for the most part like I, I think you and i like we do look at this as the day is not about us it's about them it's about capturing those moments so 10 20 30 years down the road they're like, wow, you know, I'm really glad that Andre recommended that we did this photo because that's all I have now to remember of this person, right? So, another example is we're shooting at interesting location I've never shot at until this wedding, University of Alberta Farm within the city. Oh, yeah, yeah. Super cool location. We got the photos, we got everything we wanted. And then the bride and the groom are like, oh, we're going to the house to get socks. Like, okay, why are you telling me you're going to get socks? Like, go change your socks. I don't know. Are, are they wet? What's wrong? I'm like, okay, I'll see you guys at the venue. I'm going to go set up location scout, whatever. And this was, wasn't something that we chatted beforehand, right? I had no idea what the socks meant to them. It's like, oh, no, no, Andre, you got to come with us. Like, okay, let's go take pictures of your socks. We get there. Socks was their dog. Aww. Right? And we got photos with the dog and... They got the dog when they first moved in together. And it was just something that was so important to them because they couldn't have the dog at the venue. Mm-hmm. Right? They weren't allowed to bring pets in. But they loved those photos. Those are the ones that they got printed in the end. Yeah, They were the cover of the album, Them and Socks. It's funny how that works, right? Like It's just like these 
what seem at the moment like very like odd or or like just insignificant mm-hmm. you know are sometimes like the focal point of like your gallery afterwards so like yep. everything works around that it's like wow if i didn't listen and and if i just kept on like like following this formula that i do every day for these weddings like i would miss that and this this couple wouldn't have had these photos to look back on staying on this uh trend with just like you know cultural weddings is like what recommendations would you have for families and couples that are listening to this or even other photographers and videographers that do uh specialize in cultural weddings like what would you recommend on just like creating the best timeline for that week i know that's a very broad question but are there any tips that you would recommend that can really be helpful as they're planning because there's a lot of moving parts right and very many yeah always with other photographers with just anyone doing any sort of cultural weddings everyone gives you the timeline you'll see it right from 12 to 1 we're doing this from 1 to 2 we're doing this from 2 to 3 we're doing this Add 15-minute contingency buffer times in between every little thing that you're doing. I'll see couples do, okay, we're doing portraits from 1 till 2, or let's say 4 till 5. Grand entrance is at 5. I'm like, damn, you don't realize it's going to take us 45 minutes to get there. A lot of people just forget about the travel time in between uh, locations. People forget that things can potentially get off track. There's nothing wrong planning for more time. And then you end up having that extra time where you can breathe and take in the day yourself. So I tell them, okay, take an extra half an hour for this. If we finish within 10 minutes, you get 20 minutes to just drink some water, talk to your bride, see how you guys are doing, talk to your family, just give them a hug where we can... Do any touch-ups or whatever, yep. Exactly, right? You've got some extra family that you want to take photos with. Now we have that time. Otherwise, you're planning, okay, this is going to take from one till two, and you're counting all these hours and all these days, and you're at 30 hours. Estimate for 35. Just If you're putting in so much money, so much time and effort, this sounds like I'm, I'm fishing for extra cash, but... No, but it, it's really knowing what their needs are. And like you're the expert. Like You're the one that has done you know many of these. You know how things typically go. We're not trying to put people in boxes here but yeah and that goes for like uh western weddings too right like it's like for any wedding any wedding that's just event planning one-on-one but for example did a east indian wedding last year and i think you remember the day when there was a massive uh cell phone outage in edmonton on rogers yeah the priest could not find the location where we were at oh no and everyone that was at the wedding was with rogers So there's no way of getting a hold of each other. Oh my goodness. The priest ended up showing two and a half hours later because he couldn't, he was within the vicinity, right? But nobody could help him out. The rest of us were trying to find a different priest that could show up ASAP, who was hopefully with a different cell phone provider. Yeah. Right. And that's none of his fault, none of our fault either, right? Yes, and we're not trying to make light of the situation, but I mean, you can look back and chuckle now, but exactly right. But But yeah, that's there's things that had you had a little bit of contingency time put after a little thing, those two hours would have been made up down the road somehow. So that's why it's important to add a little bit extra in there just for safety planning, essentially, for the photographer as well. Your battery dies, I don't know, you can't find a lens cap, whatever it might be. Yeah, right. Uh, You need an outlet, you got to move some of your stuff, your light's just not working. Things happen. It's a live event, right? Like there's so many things. And that's one thing I do say in my contract is it is a live event and things can happen that are unforeseen. We try to plan as best as we can as we've yep. been talking about this last hour. But some things are still going to happen no matter how prepared you are. So, And they're, they're out of your control for certain things, right? Like I can't bring the cell phone service back on. I wish I could. You know, I'd snap. But it just doesn't work that, that way. It's been such a great hour. I can't believe we're coming up to the hour already. I really appreciate you just like pulling back the veil and really just like letting me and and our listeners in on like how you approach cultural weddings. I wish we had more time because we can talk for hours, I swear, on this. Exactly. I am really curious to know like what you're really excited about for the rest of this year and into uh, next year. What do you got coming down the pipeline that you're just like overjoyed about? So we are actually expanding a lot more into uh, African weddings. 
So that's going to be super exciting. We've had a couple inquiries for Somalian weddings, Kenyan weddings, potentially some uh, uh, destinations as well in Africa, which would be super, super cool. So fingers crossed those uh, end up panning out and going our way. And uh, again, just shooting a bunch of different weddings, learning about different cultures. It's exciting. It's something that you know you get to experience that's also new. So as a person, not just a photographer, you get to uh, grow and learn about different cultures and nationalities and just to be able to see how everyone just comes together in Edmonton, in Alberta, whatever it may be. It's really cool to see that uh, this is a community that we kind of live in. Yeah. I mean, I've been able to experience so many different cultures since getting into this industry in 2017 that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to. And so I definitely feel more cultured now and more open to like other traditions. And it's really cool to see how different traditions like and cultures like view love and, and marriage. And and it, it's really just like neat to see that. And I was like, huh, you know, it's like, that's, that's really cool. And I can re- respect that. Exactly. Yeah. So how can people find you? Ooh, uh, on Instagram at flux underscore weddings, F-L-U-X, not F-L-E-X. That's something people always tend to mess up. Um, and then, yeah, search my name, Andre underscore Roman for my other page. And then the website would be fluxmediayeg.com. Andre, it's been an absolute pleasure. I always love uh, catching up with you. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy summer yeah. schedule to uh, sit down with me and just uh, let people in on on the, the whole world of like weddings and, and specifically uh, cultural weddings, because I think they're fun. They're crazy. They're like, they're exhausting too, right? But, 100%. Uh, you know, in the end, like you look back and it's like, you know what? That was a pretty wicked party. A wicked party and there's so much more. We barely scratched the surface. There's so much stuff that goes on into cultural weddings. So again, thank you for having me. It was a, it was a pleasure. It was fun. And it's always a good time to chatting with you. Yeah, we'll have to do this uh, another time, uh, maybe when both of our schedules are a little quieter. January, February, when we're just pre-planning for the rest of the season. (laughs) Sounds good, buddy. We'll chat soon. Thank you so much. Well, that's it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Alberta Wedding Podcast. Each week, I will pull back the veil and introduce you to the faces behind the brands that you love in Alberta. Your feedback matters. It would mean a lot to me if you could leave a review and let me know what you think of this episode. Until next week, stay well and be merry.